Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His Church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, whether hard copy or on your phone, you can grab a pew Bible there, and it's going to be page 808 in that Bible, okay? Matthew chapter 3. This is what the Word of God says. In those days, John the the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him to his baptism, he said to them, You broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." And God bless the reading of His Word. Let me ask you, how do you present the gospel to people? Just think on that. How how do you present the gospel to people? Maybe maybe you're the, the blunt personality, or you know, you you try to find common ground first, as much as possible, to ease into that conversation. Maybe you, you lead with the good, and you know, when the time feels right, get into the more uncomfortable stuff. Or maybe you're just a fire and brimstone kind of person. Or maybe if you're just honest with yourself, you can't really describe yourself and how you evangelize because you can't remember the last time you did. What kind of, how do you present the gospel to people? What kind of presentation do you offer? I, uh, whenever I was 16, I 
my dad bought me a salvage title, Jeep Wrangler, and we worked on it for a while, fix it up, get it to start running, and uh, oh, I just loved that vehicle. I still just kind of kick myself sometimes for selling it, but I'm um, driving from Springfield to Kansas City uh, to see my girlfriend. I was still in high school um, every weekend. Um, I was, that, that cost a little bit of money with a Jeep Wrangler, so I kind of had to sell it and get a Toyota Corolla, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I loved that Jeep Wrangler, and I remember when it came time to sell it, I, uh, I recruited my friend Matt, and came over, gave it a nice wash, and brought it to the car wash, polished the, the tires, did, did everything. I mean, we were hand polishing the side of my Jeep, and, and then we waited for the sun to go down, and Matt lived on some acreage, so we drove it up on a hill, a grassy hilltop, waited for the sun down to, to go down right behind it, and I was taking pictures of it with the sunset behind it, and I posted that on Craigslist like it looked like a brand new Jeep Wrangler. I got a bite pretty quick, because uh, it just looked to me, really, I, I felt like, if not ministry, photography, for sure, you know, and um, I felt pretty good about how I advertised that Jeep. When the guy met me to pick it up, his face just kind of fell. <laughs> and this is the Jeep that you had posted? I said, yeah, 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 why? That does not look anything like the Jeep that you have posted. So tell me about it. I said, well, it's a salvage title. I just got it running not long ago. And I mean, I just gave a list of all that was wrong with it. And uh, so at least I was forthright in that regard. But I really led with my good foot and didn't really talk about the bad until I had him hooked. I had him there with cash in hand. I think there's a temptation in evangelism to do just that. Bait and switch, right? Present the good stuff early on, right? Relationship with God. Peace in the storm. Purpose in life. Heaven. For eternity, lead with that stuff and then, you know, kind of work it into the conversation a few months down the road, you know, the die to self stuff, you know, the, the carry your cross kind of stuff, maybe not lead with that verse, the submit to him, redirect your life, reject your lifestyle before him. Change up your moral compass and align it with His. Embrace persecution. Right, probably not leading with that. Lead with the good stuff and work that in a little bit later because you don't want to lose them. Get them on the hook. And I think the temptation, if we are to do that, I think the consequence of that will be a lot like what I found with the man that was buying my Jeep. They'll feel scammed feel ripped off, not too happy with us, but even more so, not too happy with the product they now have in their hand, because they feel like it's not exactly what they unknowingly signed up for in the first place. So how do we present the gospel? Faithfully, honestly, hopefully, All right, how do we present the gospel? I think this text here in Matthew chapter 3 gives us a model in the person of John the Baptist of how to present the gospel faithfully and honestly and trusting God with the outcome. 
That's not always easy. See, the reality is with the whole bait and switch, tell them the good, tell them the bad later, is trusting me with the outcome. Trusting my method with the outcome. Right? Trusting Isaac's charisma with the outcome. My charming smile. Incredible good looks. Instead of, in all seriousness, trusting God with the outcome. Right? I think John gives us a model of how to present the gospel faithfully and honestly. Not bait and switch. So let's get a little bit of context here as we dive into it. Um, We just read at the end of chapter 2 of Jesus's, well, up to the end of chapter 2, Jesus' conception has already taken place, and then uh, we looked at time of him as a toddler, right, with the wise men coming and presenting him gifts, probably two or three years old there, fleeing to Egypt, coming back, settling in Nazareth, so all that's chapter 2. He's a toddler there, and then from the end of 2 to the start of 3, all of a sudden we're now fast-forwarded probably about 25 years to start of chapter 3. We fast-forwarded quite a bit, probably 20, 25 years. Jesus is an adult now at this point, and so is his cousin, John the Baptist. John is doing ministry out in the wilderness. He lives a simple, nomadic life, right? And doesn't that what, isn't that what verse 4 says? John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was... Locusts and wild honey, appetizing. And this was because, you might think, why in the world would he do that? Well, this was because he was prophesied about as the second Elijah. The second Elijah. Malachi prophesied about him. Actually, multiple prophets prophesied about this, but Malachi in particular mentions John who would be coming In Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah. Elijah's already lived and died. Okay? He's back in in the Kings books. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Before the awesome and great day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, there's going to be one who will come and pave the way. That's what Malachi says. And actually we see that an angel comes to John's father, Zechariah, at the start of the book of Luke, and he, and he tells Zechariah exactly this. Hey, your son's the guy. Malachi, your prophet, was talking about. Luke chapter 1, verse 16, he says, this is the angel talking to Zechariah in the temple, and he says, he, your son, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Wow, could you imagine hearing that? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow. 
And that's the life that John lived, and that is what John has known for 2,000-some years ago, later. He's known for doing that, turning the hearts of many. Can I just say, I've, I have heard a lot of sad eulogies. You ever heard a eulogy that you just hear that, and you're like, man, that's sad. I'm not going to tell my neighbor that, right? I'm not going to talk about it, but it's a sad eulogy. You ever heard that before? He loved his Miller Lite, his truck, and his dog. He loved a nice summer night, a good sunset. He was best known for his laugh. He was preceded in death by, survived by, no mention of God. And that's the eulogy. Christians, that should be a sad eulogy. That shouldn't be your eulogy. That's a sad eulogy. That's a godless eulogy. You know, a great eulogy would be to have one like John's. He turned the hearts of many to God and prepared people for the coming of the Lord. Wow, what a eulogy. And now, don't get me wrong here. Please don't mishear me. I'm not against a simple life out on the countryside. That's not what I'm speaking against, right? I am all for a simple life. I mean, you, you read the Puritans a few hundred years ago. Many of them had congregations of 10 people, and they were faithful to those 10 people their entire life, out in the middle of nowhere. But they were faithful people of God. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting some kind of platform. I'm not talking about revolutionizing the, the continent with your own ministry. I'm not saying you have to go out with a bang that the whole world sees. No, no, no. I'm saying faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God. That was John. He was faithful. So let's follow John's example, shall we? One who turned the hearts of people, who prepared people, for the coming of the Lord, let's, let's be like John in our evangelism methods. How do we do that? Well, what did John do? Two things John did. First, John pointed people to salvation. He pointed people to salvation. And that really looked like two things. When you're going to point somebody to salvation, you're pointing them to two actions. At least John did. They got to look backwards and they got to look forward. What do I mean? John pointed people to salvation, and part of that was telling them, look at your past and repent. Look at your past. Don't shy away from it. Don't cover your eyes. Look at it and repent. That was his message, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. Repent. Look back. Look at what you've done. Look at your actions. Look back. What what does repent mean? Let's just take a second and think about that. This churchy word, isn't it? Churchy word. Repent. It means to go a different direction, to redirect. It's not just regret that you did something or regret that you got caught. It's not 
just having remorse, though it includes remorse. It's not just a feelings command, it's an action command. It's change direction. See that your path was going this way and turn. Go down a different path. Repent is both emotional and actional. That's even a word. Look and repent. So he's looking at people's lives. He's looking people in their eyeballs and he's saying, change your direction. Change your path. That takes guts. That's not too socially acceptable. But I think we can learn from John. I think we need to be bold like John to call the world around us to repent, to change. Right? To look at America, our fellow Americans, and boldly say repent. Repent. for the incredibly high number of abortions that we see in this country every year, right? Repent for this, for promoting the mutilation of genitalia for gender identity. And I'm not just trying to hit hot-button topics. I'm just saying that is so anti-Bible, anti-God's Word, that we need to be bold and not be just scared of being blacklisted and saying, change direction. We need to look in our own backyard and see lifestyles that are against what Jesus would have for us and boldly say, repent. And I'm not just saying the things that are so easy to observe, right? Alcoholism, domestic abuse, marital unfaithfulness. Yeah, call, call that out in the lives of people you know and love. But you know, it's probably the most dangerous path that we see every single day that we need to tell people to redirect from is the average nine to five where God's on the back burner. That, that, and that's a lot of people, right? The average nine to five on the board of the HOA, white picket fence, got two really pretty dogs, soccer practice, Three times a week, nine to five. God's on the back burner. Repent. Right? We're not just talking the big, very clearly godless lifestyle. I'm going to be like John. And I don't think just calling out people to repent, but I think we need to model repentance ourselves, okay? We can't just be pointing fingers. We need to have more fingers pointing back at us, right? To call the world to repentance, both with our voice, certainly need to be doing that, but even more so with our example of repentance, that they might see our repentant heart and deeds modeled for them. Parents, model repentance repentance to your kid. Get down on your knee and apologize when it's fitting. Tell them when mommy and daddy messed up. They need to see repentance. Mature Christians, repent in front of 
the young in faith. What does it look like to repent, to apologize, to feel remorse, and to redirect? We need to proclaim repentance. We need to model repentance. Because I think sometimes we forget that repentance is for the people who are saved too. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we think that repentance is at the starting line of Christianity. Repent to get in the door. Don't worry about it after that. No, 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 no. Repentance is not just at the starting line of Christianity. It's for all of us through the whole race. Listen to what God says through the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 to the people of God. Let me say that part again. To the people of God. Yet even now, people of God, return to me with all your heart. They've strayed from the path a little bit. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. I love this, verse 13. It's just such an amazing picture. Tear your hearts not just your garments. How many times can you repent, make it look like you're repenting, and you feel nothing in your heart? He says, don't just rip your clothes. Tear your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Yet even now. So we need to call out to the world to repent like John did. And we need to model repentance so they might see it. And here's the reason. You just see it back in what he says there in verse 2. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Simply put, repent because there is such a better country or home than the one that you're settling with right now. Turn away from this kingdom because there's a different kingdom and it's coming and it's way more glorious. It's way better than what you're settling with right now. That's why redirect. Because that path over there is way better. So we preach. Leave the domain of darkness and enter the kingdom of the sun. John points people to salvation, and that pointing is two-directional. It's look back and repent. And pointing people to salvation is also look forward to the future. Look to the future and prepare for the coming of the king. Isn't that verse 3? He says, repent, look back, because the kingdom of God is coming. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah when he said, the voice of one who's crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, I just want to kind of let the imagery that is meant here be useful for you. What does it mean to prepare the way, to make his path straight? Well, whenever a king would come into a city and you knew the king's coming, They would, in their way, pave the road. 
You can imagine the potholes that they had. I mean, we, we think we've got a bad, right? Driving to Walmart. Not anymore. We think we've got a bad. I mean, ancient roads were horrible. Pot, potholes, and they knew the king's coming. Prepare the way. Make the way straight. Remove the brush, the debris, make it straight. And he's using that analogy for the listeners to say, do that for you in your heart. Do that in your life. Prepare the way. Prepare the heart for the king is coming. Look back, repent, prepare as well. Prepare. And I know the prophet Isaiah, when he says that in verse 3, for this is the one who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This prophecy was specifically about one person, John. I know that. John's the one who would be going and who would prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John's the forerunner of Christ. And yet still, we can follow John's example, can't we? He prepared the way in people's hearts and lives for the first coming of Jesus. And I think in some ways, we can be like John, preparing the hearts and lives of people for the second coming of Jesus. Right? We tell people to prepare for Jesus' second coming. It's not just look back, feel remorse about what you've done, and repent, turn from. No, it's also the message of salvation is look forward and become ready to meet Him. I think a really good example in the Bible is the parable of the, the ten virgins, right? Five were, had their lamps well-oiled and ready for the coming of the groom. Five of them fell asleep, let their oil burn out. They weren't ready. Whenever he came, they're like, hey, give us some of your oil. We need, we need our lamps burning. They're like, no, we can't do that. It's in Matthew 25. That, that, that's, a, that's just an image for you and I. What kind of bride are we going to be? As a church. John would say to look back and repent of what you've done. Oil your lamp. Prepare for his coming. This is this is salvation. God's coming kingdom, our salvation calls us to look back and repent, look forward and prepare. So John did that well. John preached salvation, and I think we should too. But he was also, this is my second point, John also was honest about judgment. There's the uncomfortable part. John preached salvation, but he didn't stop there, did he? He didn't bait and switch, did he? He was honest about judgment in his first interaction with people. I mean, just look at this. Let, let's run through some of the text here. He was honest about their present condition as sinners and God's wrath that they were headed for. <laughs> Do we lead like that? I mean, just look at verse 7, right? 
But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, hey, let's get coffee and get to know each other. Become friends and I'll talk to you about the sin a few months from now. No. He said to them, you brought of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Look at verse 10. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow. John would not have a platform in modern America. He would not be the next Hillsong preacher. Look at verse 12. He just keeps going, right? His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Sometimes we miss that analogy if we don't really know what, what that means. But the winnowing fork was like a pitchfork, right? And he would stab the pile and throw it up in the air, and the heavy, good stuff would fall back down, but the, the chaff the light stuff you don't want, would blow off into the wind. He would gather that stuff up and burn it. And he's using that as an analogy, as a separation. Wheat, chaff. Sheep's goat. Right? He uses this analogy, there are a lot of analogies in the New Testament, about separation, about the true Christian and the fake Christian. He was being pretty upfront about him in this. He clearly explained judgment. But he also clearly explained how to avoid that judgment. That's really important. It wasn't just fire and brimstone. It was instructions on how to avoid fire and brimstone. It's sad whenever people just do the one and they forget the other. John didn't, right? How do you avoid this judgment, this wrath of God to come, this fire that's unquenchable. You avoid judgment by having a repentant heart. It's verse 8, right? He tells the Pharisees who he just warned about the wrath of God to come, verse 7, he says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I just want you to notice there in that verse are the two, mark, the, the two marks of salvation, right? Repentance Prepare, i.e., bear fruit. That's how you avoid judgment. You have a genuine heart change that shows itself in how you live. And he just throws in there in verse 9, you do not avoid judgment simply because you have a family that's saved. Oh, how many people think that? They're saved. Because my grandma's saved. I'm saved because my daddy was a preacher. Right? I'm saved because I grew up in church. Oh, I know. I could, I could tell you all four Gospels. Right? What's he say after verse 8? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What are they saying? We're saved because we're in the family. We're saved because we're full-blooded Jews. 
For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up children of Abraham. He's telling them, that's not going to save you. You need a changed heart. You need a changed heart. It's not about who your grandma was. It's not about walking the aisle 20 years ago. It's not about your uncle's cousin who was a deacon. It's about a heart change. Do you have that? I think we can learn from John's example both in preaching salvation and being honest about judgment. I mean, we could probably do without the name calling broad of vipers. I mean, we could probably set that aside. But, I mean, this is confrontational, isn't it? And this is uncomfortable. It's easy to read because it's not happening, but could you just imagine, really, just think about this. If you were standing there in the crowd listening to John saying what he's saying, to a bunch of people, you're like, oh, okay, John, take the mic from him. Take, just someone, get, get him off the stage. Could you imagine? It's uncomfortable. It's confrontational. But I think from this, we can learn. Please get this. If we're truly evangelizing, they shouldn't get the impression by the end of it that their lifestyle's not a big deal, you know. Either option's good, whether they go with God or not. You know, it's totally up to them. It's just, you know, it's whatever fits you. They shouldn't get that impression if we're truly evangelizing, right? What impression should they get? That they're going down the wrong path. That there's a better path, and that's the wrong path. That they need to redirect, and that's the only good option in their life. The gospel's exclusive. The reality is, guys, and I think we need to learn this, this is at the heart of how we can be like John in our evangelizing. The reality is we need to know that we're not called to make buddies and pals in this life. We're called to make disciples, right? Some of you might be like, oh, I don't like to hear that. John knew that he wasn't called to make friends. Do you know the life of John? Just shortly after this, we're going to get to it, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, he was arrested for the things he was saying here, thrown in jail for it, and not long after that, he, was, he had his head lopped off because he was telling the king to repent. That's not how you make friends. But John knew that's not what he was called to. I mean, goodness sakes. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to make friends. If our Messiah and our Savior knew He wasn't coming here to make friends, that should give us a hint about ourselves. I love what William Williams says. Anyone who thinks that Jesus was into inclusiveness, self-affirmation, and open-minded, heart-happy acceptance needs to figure out why we responded to Him by nailing Him to the cross. He got there not for urging us to consider the lilies, but for calling us whitewashed tombs and even worse. John knew he wasn't going to be making friends. Jesus knew that he wasn't here to make friends. We need to accept that being a Christian won't always win you friends. I mean, it's nice. It's not a bad thing. It's not what you're called to. 
You can speak the truth in love, as we should, sinning otherwise. Speak the truth in love. But that doesn't negate doing it boldly. You can speak the truth in love and boldness. Not apologizing for it, not being embarrassed by it, boldly speaking with a heart of love. The world will tell you that's impossible. It's possible. And it's our calling. Boldness doesn't equal hate. Disagreeing with somebody is not inherently rude. Opposing a lifestyle does not mean that you have a phobia of that lifestyle. It means that you're opposed to it and that you love them enough to tell them. I love this convicting quote by Doug Wilson. It's not weird to say I love this convicting quote, but it's true. Doug Wilson said, Desperate times calls for faithful men, not careful men. The careful men come later to write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. The question is, are we going to be faithful men or the careful men that recall the amazing acts of the faithful men? We're in desperate times. The world needs faithful Christians. So two takeaways I have for you as we're wrapping up here. First, if you haven't yet, can I be the first to tell you, in the spirit of John, repent. There is a better path. It's the path that's going to the kingdom to come. That is glorious, and it's in the presence of an awesome God who is great. Trust in the salvation that's only found in Christ. And redirect your life to center it on Him. I say that in love because that is the best thing that you could ever do. And if you have done that, can I speak to you? Be bold. Be bold, guys, about your faith, just like John was. Two things that made John able to be as bold as he was. First, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from conception. Remember that? Elizabeth, poor Elizabeth, she had a kicking baby in her ribs because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was dancing, right? How is John so bold? He was filled with the Holy Spirit from day one. We see in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit will make you bold to be his witnesses throughout all the world. Are you timid about your faith? Pray that, truly, and I mean this, really. Pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you with boldness to represent your faith and be ambassador for Christ in this world. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And secondly, he saw Jesus as he was. He saw Jesus as awesome and worthy to preach. Isn't that verse 11? I love this verse, probably best verse of the whole passage we read. He says, I believe, I baptize you with water for repentance. <laughs> but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Why was John so bold? How was John so bold? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He saw Jesus as worthy of his boldness.
Do you see Jesus this way? Do you? When you do, it won't matter what persecution you face for him, what rejection you might face for him, that you're blacklisted or not on social media. You can still say, it's well with my soul. And that's what we should do in our boldness. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.